showing up brave is not just about sticking your neck out there and enjoying the white water rafting ride or the flow trail of a mountain bike, but it's also about meeting each other on the road and saying, hey, this is who I am. This is what I've been through. You know, will you open up to me? Can we come together? I think it's an illusion that we do this life alone. You know, there's that kind of popular myth, you know, you're born alone and you die alone. (laughs) But really, there's no way possible that I could have achieved what I have and experienced what I have without other people. Welcome to Trail Effect episode 30. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. Once again, I am blown away by the guests that I've had the opportunity to interview on this show. I'd like to thank Amy and Scott Cooper for introducing me to our next guest and for their generosity of allowing us to record this show at their house. For episode 30, we bring you Lacey Heward. Lacey is truly an amazing individual. Lacey's courage to show up to everything she's accomplished in life is evident by what you are about to listen to. I could tell you about all the adversity that Lacey has been through in life, but I'll leave that to her as she tells her story so well. This interview will close with a song written and performed by Lacey called It's Been a Long Time. Also check out the YouTube video that accompanies this show that features Lacey riding her adaptive mountain bike at the Gateway Trails in La Crosse, Wisconsin. The link for this show can be found in the show notes or by going to the Aura Trails YouTube channel. Support for Trail Effect comes from Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Smith's is a full-service bike shop that is a retailer for Trek Bicycle Company and Celsa Cycles. Smith's also has a full line of components and accessories from Bontrager and other various companies. For more information about Smith's Bike Shop, go to www.smithsbikes.com. A special thanks goes out to Ben Wellenek of Mountain Bike Radio for supporting this podcast and to the people who have shared their time and knowledge. Without this, we would not have these stories to tell. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. So here we are today with Trail Effect. I have Lacey Heward here with me, and I'm going to let Lacey tell her story from the beginning. She is, she's got, I will say one thing, she's got the Brave Lacey Project, but Lacey's a pretty insp- inspiring human being and character and has done a lot of different things. And so glad to have you, have you here, Lacey. This is a very unique opportunity for me. Lacey happens to be in La Crosse where we live, doing her thing, and we're going to talk about what that thing is. Um, in a minute, but we're actually able to record in person. Haven't done a live recording in person, not live, but a recording in person for quite a while. So thank you very much. Yeah, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Um, so yeah, I guess a little bit about me. I probably the most, most obvious thing about me is that I use a wheelchair. I had a spinal cord injury when I was a baby. I was 16 months old when my brother, who was four, and I waddled outside in our yard and were just messing around, playing like toddlers do. And my brother decided he wanted to drive a car. And the obvious thing that you need is a steering wheel. And we had this big, giant weight set outside. And he started to spin the weight really fast. And the faster it got, it just kind of became unstable. And this was the very end of the 70s. So the stanchion on the weight set was really narrow. You know, now you have those nice wide stanchions so the weights don't have a chance to topple off. But this was narrow and it, the weights got going pretty fast and came flying out of the carriage. And I just happened to be in the wrong spot at the wrong time. I was crushed by the weight 
and rushed to the hospital. When they opened me up, I had all kinds of internal holes and bleeding. My spinal cord looked like toothpaste. And I was really fortunate to live. Doctors said that I would never walk again. But I did walk with braces and crutches after that. I recovered and waddled around on these hilarious heavy metal (laughs) braces like Forrest Gump and these little wooden crutches. And, And I just did everything that my family did. I grew up out in the mountains of Idaho and in a very active family, a very outdoor active family. My parents were water skiers and snow skiers. They did everything. My dad had horses. We rode horses in the mountains, went camping all the time. And I have five siblings and they're all just as vivacious. And so growing up with a disability, it wasn't that big of a deal because I just did everything that they did, just maybe did a little differently. And You know, there were times when I had some real fits and I didn't want to go or didn't want to put my braces on. That was a big thing. But if I didn't, I would just get left home with grandma. And I loved my grandma, but that wasn't as fun as going with my family who were just obviously going on an adventure. So that was kind of the start. That's what kind of shaped my life dramatically and made me a seeker of adventure and outdoor sport. Yeah. So in doing research on you, um, your main sport that you got into was adaptive alpine ski racing and adaptive alpine skiing. Yeah. Let's talk about that journey. Yeah. You know, I mean, I wanted to do everything my siblings did. Alpine skiing was not one of those things that I could just adapt on my own. You know, I loved sledding, but that's not the same as skiing. And I needed adaptive equipment. There was one adaptive program that taught um, how to use a sit ski in our community. And I, when I was 14, I paid for lessons to go up to the mountain and learn how to use a sit ski or a mono ski. And I fell in love with it right away. First of all, I got to get out of my wheelchair. My wheelchair, wheelchairs are not (laughs) the most, I don't know, outdoor friendly pieces of equipment. And, And I'm not attached to it. You know, it's this thing that feels very limiting to me. You know, in a wheelchair, you're always looking for the ramp the sidewalk, the curb cuts, the elevator down the back alley where the garbage cans are. You know, you just, you're, you've, you've got to find your way to get from point A to point B. But in skiing, I loved that I would go down the same trails as everybody else and get on the same chairlift and sit next to other people doing the same thing feeling the same love for outdoor and the snow and fresh air. I mean, that was just unbelievable to me. I didn't have to go and look for the weird entrance or the, you know, the special spot to get up to the top of the mountain. I got up the same way as everybody else. I felt pretty equal to people and and that's really what made me fall in love with skiing. Yeah. And you took it to a pretty high level. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I got addicted to that feeling of freedom. And so I wanted to get better and better at skiing. I wanted to be able to go anywhere on the mountain cuz that just felt the 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 height of freedom. And I didn't know anything about ski racing. You know, I didn't know anyone that ski raced or anything like that. But I did see the ski patrol coming down the mountain, the steepest part of the mountain. And I was just like, yeah, I want to be one of them. I want to be able to do that. And 
And at the time, you know, my ski instructor said, "Uh, that's not really a possibility for you, but here is a possibility for you. And actually, as it turns out, there's a lot of ski patrol now that use a sit ski and they're really good at it. But at the time, yeah, my ski instructor introduced me to what she understood um, and ski racers that she knew and had met. And then that just opened up a whole world. It was eye opening to learn that there were people just like me going super fast down mountains safely and they were so good at it. And so I wanted to do that too. And thus began a life of ski racing, chasing snow. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about that. How, um, you know, you, you grew up in Idaho mm-hmm. and you had to leave to get into, into a different program. How did that look? And what did that entail? Who I was 18 years old. I'd finished one year of college and found out that the Olympics, Paralympics were going to be in Salt Lake City. And I thought, this is my shot. If I'm going to have a shot, this is going to be it. And up to that point, you know, I grew up with a single mom. We struggled financially. School, college was kind of a financial burden. And so just picking up and leaving college and going to U- moving to Utah and living in a dorm like situation and driving an hour to the mountain every day was a huge commitment. But I just there was just this internal drive to do that. And that's where they had an adaptive race program. They didn't have an adaptive race program in Idaho. And so I had to go to where I could learn how to be the best I could be. And so I joined the Park City Adaptive Ski Team. And for the next two years, I worked really hard, really hard. I made a lot of sacrifice, did whatever I could to get to as many races as I could so that I could get on the U.S. ski team. And eventually the Paralympic team. Yeah. So how many years was it that you raced before you were able to make that team? I think it took me two and a half years to make it, to be invited to the World Cup finals. World Cup finals are typically an opportunity where U.S. ski team coaches can invite novice, um, you know, non-professional ski racers to come and compete. And so I got an invitation to go to Canada and race in the World Cup finals. And I got a gold medal on a just a horrible day where everybody was sliding out left and right in the slalom course. I just had this mantra that I said out loud to myself all the way down the mountain. I was thinking about falling. You know, I just could not get that, that thought out of my head. And so the whole way down, I was yelling, just go ahead and think about it. Just go ahead. And I came into the finish and I was just like, yes, I did it. I didn't fall. And got my invite to the U.S. ski team that evening. And it was just unbelievable. I couldn't believe that I had made it in such a short period of time. And at the same time, I could because it was so grueling. I mean, we're talking in the gym, on the mountain every single day for two years, two years straight. Yeah. And then you went to the Olympics. Yes. (laughs) Did anything happen there? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I had such an incredible time at the Paralympic Games. And the, in the downhill You know, I was sitting at the top of the mountain and this was my first experience in this this unbelievable arena and caliber of athletes. And I just remember sitting up there and hearing all of these different languages and seeing all the different colored flags from countries all over the world. And I just thought, whoa, this is incredible. How did I even get here? This girl from Idaho 
So that first downhill race was just seeking adrenaline and kind of working out all the nerves of even being at this race. And then I wanted to win (laughs) after that. So the Super G and Giant Slalom, I just gave it my all. I didn't have anything to lose after that. I mean, I had already crossed a finish line and I was deemed a Paralympian for the rest of my life. So at that point, it was just like, I'm going to go for it. I'm just going to go all the way and see what happens. And I won two bronze medals in the Super G and Giant Slalom at the Paralympics. So let's back up a little bit. (laughs) The first event that you went in to get the nerves out is downhill. (laughs) And for those that may, you know, this is the Trail Effect podcast. We don't typically talk about ski racing on here. But for those that don't know, if there is one event in ski racing that is the most intimidating, that is the fastest, and that has the most risk, it's the downhill. You're right. And so that was your first event, and then you just went from there. Yeah. (laughs) I know. It's crazy. They start with downhill. (laughs) I guess they're weeding us out or something, but... (laughs) Yeah. 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 That was my first Paralympic event and experience was that downhill. And, you know, it definitely wasn't my fastest, but I don't know. I, I just, I love downhill. Downhill is the, the funnest and the safest time that you can go as fast as you possibly can. And the safest time. (laughs) The safest (laughs) That's just because there's not other skiers on the hill. That's right. Yeah. It's wide open for you. A lot of netting that you can crash into and hurt yourself. You could hit B net all day long. That's right. (laughs) Just kind of ping pong all your the way down. So well, and then so you went you went to the Olympics, you got your two bronze medalists. Very, very awesome achievement. And then in and and again, I you know, I did a little bit of research. I think I think something happened the following year. With the World Cup. Yes. Yes. So the following year, went to World Cup for the first time. So traveled to Europe and raced in Italy and Germany and, and Austria, mostly Austria. And I'd never been to Europe. It was mind blowing, you know, to be from Idaho, you know, and at the time there, what, there were like 100,000 people in the entire state. <laughs> You know, so to go to Europe and just see these ski racers that were so good from all over and see a different part of the world, that was, that was such a height for me. So cool. And I did pretty well in the World Cup, surprisingly. There were still a lot of women ski racers on the circuit. And in order to reach the highest level in the World Cup, you have to get first or second place in every single World Cup race. In a World Cup series, there can be anything from 10 to 25 races in a season. And that particular year, since it was after Paralympics, there weren't as many races in the circuit, but still it was grueling. And for, at that time, for a adaptive ski racer. You didn't have these nice cushy breaks between races. You had, it was every day, one race after another, week after week of living away from home, being away from it all, racing, putting your all into every single turn, finishing every race. And I did it. I won first or second place, almost all firsts in that World Cup series and won a World Cup overall championship. So you have a globe. I do. (laughs) I have a couple. (laughs) So the picture you just painted here, so for the listeners, is that, and this is, you know, this is typical with all sports, not just what we're talking about. You know, the Olympics are a one, a one event deal. Yeah. you, You know, it's every four years. It could be a day where you're either on or you're not. Yeah. The World Cup is a whole different animal. And this is, again, the same with a lot of different sports because it's not one day. It is consistency day after day, week after week Mm -hmm. to be able to continue to perform at the highest level. 
Yeah. That in itself is is a pretty amazing feat because things happen. You know, I mean, you could have an equipment issue. You could just be off on yeah. a day. Yeah. You know, so to be that consistent for that that time frame is is pretty remarkable. Yeah, and it's another it's a whole another level too to go in a wheelchair to Europe. <laughs> the accessibility I can only imagine. is hilarious. I mean, you're you're navigating looking for elevators and ramps in foreign languages and and also riding chairlifts with lifties that have no clue. They've never even seen anything like your equipment before. I'd had lifties just lift my entire monoski and me onto the chairlift. And then you're just kind of stuck there like a goat sitting on a chair, you know, just like, what, what, how do I even d- navigate this now? Um, you know, just dangling off of chairlifts, terrified because our equipment fits on the chairlift kind of precariously. And so you're navigating all of that in addition to trying to be a top athlete. And yeah, I mean, there were some really humorous, but also very challenging times. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't, I didn't even think about that aspect of Europe because Europe obviously is, you know, it's old. Yeah. You know, so accessibility, even for an able-bodied person that has no limitations, isn't the same as what it is, what we are used to here in the U.S. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so that's, that is a whole different level of, <laughs> of how do I get, how do I deal with this and, and what's the best way to navigate through this? Yeah. Yeah. I had a flat tire, um, an entire series of races and that alone was just totally exhausting. Yeah. I bet. <laughs> So there's a common theme here, and that's um, your competitive drive. Where do you think that comes from within you? Hmm, good question. You know, I think I built that muscle early in life. My parents pushed me. They were not, they were not the kind of parents that would coddle me at all. In fact, they knew that life was going to be pretty challenging for me growing up with a disability And they wanted me to be able to stand up for myself, in a sense, to speak up and and ask for what I needed and be able to go places. They didn't want me to be limited by my chair, you know, or my disability. They didn't want me to be limited in any way possible. I mean, they were so supportive of everything that I wanted to do in my life the best that they could. And so, I don't know, when I got older and it came time to go camping or go to a friend's house or go to school, it it was easy because I had already scraped my knees up and dragged my feet all over the place and, you know, fell down a million times. And so, challenging myself and going for a big goal like that yeah, it's scary. Yeah, you have fear of failure and all of that. But I had built this this muscle of adapting. And it, so it was natural for me to push myself even beyond boundaries that I didn't know were possible because I'd already done that so much. I'd already scared the heck out of myself a million times before that as a kid. So post-skiing... What other stuff have you gotten into that has been adventuresome? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, growing up in Idaho, there's so much to do. Whitewater rafting. I love kayaking whitewater. I love camping, doing all of those kind of outdoor wilderness things. And most recently in the last eight years, maybe less than that six years, I've gotten into mountain biking and I just fell in love with it for the same reason I fell in love with skiing because I got to get out of my wheelchair and go down a trail with everybody else and be out in nature. You know, I've I mentioned earlier, like being in my wheelchair, you're looking for the sidewalk. It's very difficult to get through gravel or dirt, grass, snow. 
wheelchairs are just not meant to go cool places. <laughs> but in a on a mountain bike, an adaptive mountain bike, there I was again in my favorite place in the world, being out in in the mountains, in the forest, in nature, getting to move freely. And I just love I just love it. So for the listeners, could you explain for those cuz we are Obviously, this is only audio. <laughs> Could you explain what that adaptive mountain bike looks like or how it and how it helps you get outside? Yeah. Or get out on the trails. There are several different models of mountain bike. The one that I use in particular, the bike is built by a person out in Crested Butte. His name is Jake O'Connor, and he builds the bomber. And the Bomber is a reactive adaptation bike. That's his company. And it in this particular bike, it's a three-wheel bike. There's two wheels in front, one in back. The, the chain crank is rear wheel driven. And you sit in kind of a prone position. So your legs, you're kind of kneeling on this bike. It's a little bit longer wheelbase and your my chest is sitting on a chest plate that moves and can articulate the wheels so that I can track the wheels while I'm pedaling with my arms. My arms are a little bit lower than my center of mass so that when I'm climbing or anything like that, I can really crank and and pull essentially kind of pull myself up the hill. And then there's also handlebars above that so that if I'm in a downhill, there's the your disc brakes and your handlebars there too so that you can kind of pedestal yourself up and steer as you're going downhill. So where have some of the places been that you've been able to take this thing? I learned how to use this equipment when I was out in Idaho and just all kinds of trails. I mean, really steep terrain, really fun downhills. We rode flow trails at Sun Valley. And in anyone that's been out there, it's pretty, pretty big. <laughs> big bank turns, flow trails, and a long downhill. Just so fun. Just ripping down the mountain. Also, there is a really fun event out in in called Whitaho and it's at not Jackson Hole um Grand Targhee so got to do some really fun big rides lift uh lift surf flow trails in Grand Targhee and then I've done a bunch of riding here in the Midwest here in La Crosse up at Granddad's Bluff and some other trails up and around where we live, um, Levis Mounds, Hickory Ridge, Lowe's Creek, and then some trails up in Duluth. So I feel like I can go a lot of places with my bike um, that really anyone can go do. Yeah. And your husband's a mountain biker also. Yeah. So how has that been? Being able to do the activity together. Yeah, so cool. I mean, Ben and I, my husband's name's Ben, and Ben and I like to do snow sports together. Ben is an avid dog musher, and because of him, I've gotten into that, doing some racing with a four-wheel gravity bike that we have. But the mountain biking is, a. I mean, Ben loves mountain biking. And when we first got together, it was one of those points of pain for us because it was like, yeah, you go have fun, honey, and I'm so happy you get to do this and I'll see you when you get back. But now that I can go with him, it's just, I don't know, just when you are out there on a trail and you're out having an adventure and an experience seeing the same things together and you get to come home and talk about it, like remember when we saw that? big rock or those birds or that animal. That's the stuff of life. You know, we have our memories and making memories together is so vital for any relationship, but in particular relationship with your partner. 
With that in your travels, is there a community that sticks out above other communities that you really like? Um, it, may, it could be a community that you maybe just, it wasn't on your radar. You didn't, didn't, it just was, it was a place you ended up, but ended up being really, really unique for you. Mm, that's a really good question. There are a lot of really wonderful organizations, nonprofit organizations out West that have made a big impact on adaptive sport. For example, Move United is a huge organization that that serves the community of disabled athletes in general. They fund a lot of organizations. But if there were if there was particular spots that were kind of hot spots for adaptive mountain biking, I would say the Grand Targhee area, Teton Adaptive Sports, is an excellent organization that's really dedicated to creating adaptive um, touring, which is something new and unique, um, mountain bike touring, touring and things like that. Um, and then all across the country, there's organizations like that. and. Here, we're working on getting some of those initiatives started in Duluth, in areas where we live now, near Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And, you know, I would say there are these groups of people, I like to call them mountain people, (laughs) that love the wild places, that want to bring people to the wild places and also preserve those wild places so that we we continue to have them. And I would say any community that supports and preserves that, you know, brings people together to experience these beautiful places on earth are the best. So you talked about initiatives about bringing things into certain places and you have a project called Project Lacey. What's that about? That is a work in progress. Or, I'm sorry. It's the brave. It's I'm gonna. It's the brave Lacey project. Yeah, yeah. It's a work in progress. I am both a athlete and a musician, and I feel like the two worlds collide most, especially in these in beautiful spaces where there is some sense of communion with nature with each other. I've also been through a lot in my life. Um, Not only did I grow up with a disability, but later in life, I had to go through two kidney transplants as just sort of a result of long-term disability. And it really changed my perspective. Uh, It gave me a greater sense of compassion for others and the understanding that we're not going to get anywhere in life just continuing to kind of push ourselves to the wall. At some point, we have to kind of bend and acknowledge that we do this together. Um, you know, I definitely used to have kind of this attitude of, you know, you, you're only limited by your gumption. And now I can see that people go through a lot in life. People have been through hell. And they have some pretty harrowing circumstances. And can we, can we come together? Can we lay down our shields and swords and be vulnerable with one another? And I feel like nature in particular, I know I'm getting really philosophical here, but (laughs) I feel like these wild spaces in nature are just such a, a, automatic and uh, such a beautiful place to commune and bring these two worlds together. How can we, how can we find common ground? Where is that common ground? And I feel like that's really what it's about. Yeah, for sure. You know, and for me personally, I think, and I, I think a lot of people have noticed this or may, and maybe it's just me being more aware of things in the last year, but this last year especially has really brought that out, has really, I think people are talking more about 
uh, being vulnerable. People are talking more about some of the traumas they've had to face in life, you know, and, and I think as, as humans, it's important we talk about that, Yeah, you know, and because we have this, and this again is something that we see in society today. We have this kind of front, you know, some people call it social media even, <laughs> where you, you have this, people have a perception of what you live because you're able to put your best self out there. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that's not really the case most of the time, if not all the time. Yeah. You know? And so to have, to be able to, you know, open up and talk about, you know, vulnerabilities and, and expose traumas and everybody's are different, right? Everybody's yeah. got different, different things that trigger them or whatever, you know, that's gone on in their life, you know? And so it's, it's something that I've noticed a lot more in the last year. Absolutely. You know? And I don't think that you can get to a certain level in athletics, in sport, in whatever you are just diving into, whatever you're dedicating yourself to without taking a really good look in the mirror. Yeah. You know, it really requires you to kind of grind down all of your edges, if you will. And I chose the word brave because I didn't feel brave. <laughs> I mean, yeah, am I, can I chuck myself down an icy mountain going 75 miles per hour any day? But ask me to share the underbelly of my emotions and, um, you know, put that out there. That's terrifying. And so brave, showing up brave is not just about sticking your neck out there and enjoying the white water rafting ride or the flow trail of a mountain bike, but it's also about meeting each other on the road and saying, hey, this is who I am. This is what I've been through. You know, will you open up to me? Can we come together? I think it's an illusion that we do this life alone. You know, there's that kind of popular myth, you know, you're born alone and you die alone. <laughs> but really, there's no way possible that I could have achieved what I have and experienced what I have without other people. I mean, we're born of a mother, <laughs> you know, we, yeah. we go back to the earth, you know, if you really want to go deep, that's the truth. You know, we are in this together. We ride together, you know, that's really what I think showing up brave means. And as part of the Brave Lacey project, you talked about the intersection of, of what you do athletically, but also your music. Yeah. Let's talk about your music. Music ha runs in my family. It feels like it runs in my blood. Growing up with a disability was hard. You know, it was hard chasing after my siblings. I loved it and I could do it. But it, music was so easy. And it came to me, I think, kind of naturally, maybe as a result of not being able to do every single thing that my family could do. And I would spend time with my grandma who would play the piano and I would sing songs at a really young age. And that just kind of grew into this love of expression. You know, sometimes it's hard for me to, or it has been in the past, hard for me to articulate what I'm going through. There have been some very lonely moments in my life where I didn't know if anyone could really relate to what I was going through. And writing songs, singing songs, kind of expressing this place from my heart was my way of communicating what I was feeling and experiencing. And I've written lots of songs. I love writing songs. I've sung pretty much my whole life. And I play the guitar. I mostly learned to play the guitar to accompany my songs. The songs that I've written are really kind of testaments of my life or the things that I've been through, things that I see or a perspective. Yeah. Yeah. With that, do you have any good stories or closing things that you're, or any kind of message that you really want to get out and 
maybe it's a message you didn't get, you know, haven't said before that you've been thinking about, or maybe it's a message that's been a common theme with all of your stuff. Yeah, I feel like, you know, just the bit about showing up brave, being so much more than winning the medals. The winning the medals was so exciting and absolutely, uh, you know, the pinnacle of hard work and dedication. But what are you going to do with it? You know, what are you going to use your gifts to give back to the world? Because isn't that really what, what we're doing here? We're connecting. And that's what, if there's anything that I could offer, uh, you know, people with this experience that I've had is just keep going. Keep coming back to this place, to this common ground. Keep coming back to the people that you love, that you care about, people you want to connect to and open your heart and also chuck yourself down the mountain because it's really fun. (laughs) (laughs) On skis and a bike, whatever, (laughs) whatever your form of of recreation is, just chuck yourself down the mountain. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So with that, do you have any uh, thank yous? people, companies, anything that you'd really like to kind of read, you know, do a shout out to, to help you that have helped you get to where you are today. Oh, wow. That list is very long. (laughs) (laughs) We have all day. (laughs) I definitely want to say thank you to a very good friend who helped me get my bike. Brandon Lever is a great, great friend. My husband, of course, without him, I wouldn't be able to get up and down most of the stairs that <laughs> he's carried me up and down. Also, getting my bike in and out of the truck and all that he does for me is incredible. And my family. My family have been such huge supporters of everything that I've done and do. And they have been a lifeboat in, in rocky waters. And then also just really grateful to Courage Kenny up in the cities and also Duluth in particular, uh, Eric Larson, who is the executive director at Courage Kenny North Country, I think is what it's called, who has been a big advocate of adaptive mountain biking in that area and the people here who build trails and is it, what is the organization here called? Is it? It's the Outdoor Recreation Alliance yes. of the Seven Rivers region. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Such awesome people I got to meet last night. Really dedicated to trails and community. And I'm really impressed with them. So thank you to them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, get to, you get to experience the gateway. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure you've maybe heard that. Because I know you talked to Jed last night. Mm-hmm. That was a project that Judd and I spearheaded together. Oh, cool. I think a lot of people, when we started talking about that, thought we were a little nutty. <laughs> Especially when we were talked about, you know, how we could have trails that traverse from the bottom to the top or top to the bottom, but then also like turn the quarry zone into like a legit family zone. Yeah, you and did. And that's where the magic is. It is so awesome. I mean, when we were up there, we saw the span of all ages, yeah. little tiny kids, saw an older gentleman. We talked to him. Like we saw everything in between. Every level of recreation was there that day because I was there too. (laughs) So it was just so awesome to see that up there because I've been here before a long time ago and that did not exist. And I guess that was, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago. Yeah. And it didn't exist. And The trails are beautiful. It was a gorgeous day. That view from the top is so spectacular. Yeah. I mean, that's a real gift. Yeah. You couldn't have, speaking of gorgeous day, you probably couldn't have been out there on a better day between (laughs) the blue skies, the moderate temperatures, like all of it. Yeah. It wasn't wasn't super windy. Like all the ingredients came together. Yeah. Barely any bugs. Yeah. You know, like it was just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, Lacey, 
I really appreciate this time with you and to help, you know, get your story out. Um, it's a, it's a very important story that everybody needs to hear, you know, on how to deal with adversity, how to be competitive, how to, how to live a lifestyle that, you know, that can still be amazing regardless of what your situation is. Well, I mean, and I mean, truly mean regardless of your situation, Yeah. you know, so, cause some people are really inside their head and they don't have limitations, Yeah. you know, so to really get that message out there is it's an awesome message to get out. So thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Awesome. experience where I let myself cry I got out all the emotion I had built up inside several years of pain bottled up and kept safe to let myself be open I had to release so I laid out all the ugliness I've been carrying around it was now high time to let my love be found. It's been a long time since I let you into my life. It's been a long time since I met you. Ask the Lord to forgive me Cause it's been a long, long time Since I let you love me others have been buttered and bruised. I pushed your love away because I felt I've been used. Childhood experiences left my heart broken. I was too afraid to shout when my love spoken. So I went up in the mountains and I screamed and I yelled. This pain inside, how it feels, it feels like hell. It's been a long time since I let you into my life. It's been a long time since I met you, sorry. the Lord to forgive me cause it's been a long long time since I let you love me it's been a long time since I let And I get down 
very much for listening to the Lacey Heward interview and check out the Brave Lacey project to learn more about Lacey and all the great things she is sharing with the world. If you have liked what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, please remember to leave a comment and rate the show wherever you consume your podcasts. This podcast has been made possible by Mountain Bike Radio, Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and is an Evolution Trail Services production. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature on Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. <laughs>